This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. Hello Adam, how was your weekend? It was uh, lovely, actually. As I've said many times on this podcast, that we're my girlfriend and I are preparing for a very, very, very long move. Um, so I'm actually sitting in a room full of boxes right now. Um, but it was a lovely weekend. It's been busy. There was some good football on. My girlfriend officially uh, is no longer Mrs. Laura. She's Dr. Laura, which oh, is... Wow. Uh, an incredible thing this weekend, but it means there's all sorts of ceremonies and stuff to to slam into the next few weeks. So it's a busy time, but I guess busy is good, isn't it? Congratulations, Dr. Laura. That's that's fantastic. And yeah, that, that move I can see just behind you, lots of uh, plastic bags and boxes and stuff like that. So I, I don't envy you at all. But yeah, it was a fun weekend. Really, really good football weekend. I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase, if the, if the marketing department stretched it over the Atlantic Ocean, but if Carlsberg did football weekends, I think this definitely would be up there. Is that something that you've ever heard or come across? It means nothing to me, especially because Carlsberg is one of the very few kind of like average light beers that just didn't really make it to the U.S. You don't can't find uh-huh. it really in the U.S. At least not at your not at your local pub. Yeah, so obviously it's a it's a Danish brew, and for a long time in the sort of, I'd like to say mid nineties, their advertising slogan was if Carlsberg did beers would probably be the best in the world or something like that and then on the back of that uh I suppose you could call it an, an early meme started where it'd be if Carlsberg did insert good thing happening and, and this weekend was definitely if, if a Carlsberg did football weekends because we'll start with the city stuff but drop points for Liverpool that was that was big it was big um it came at a really awkward time for me as many people may know that follow me on Twitter I'm a very big hockey fan and my team was playing a playoff game at the same time so and uh laura and i are very 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 crazy about our superstitions around hockey the last time my team won the cup we sat in a very specific position we drank very specific beers we had the pillows arranged in a certain way um and so Every single time I would slightly glance my eyes over to the computer, Laura would kind of slap me on the arm and be like, look at the hockey game, look at the hockey game. So I was trying to kind of <laughs> to see what was going on. But once Sun's goal went in, I was like, all right, I'm in this now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah it, was, it was very exciting. Well, you did one more thing than I did and actually watched the game. I, uh, I, d- I didn't dare 
watch the the un, whatever was unfolding at Anfield, and then I, I scroll on Twitter and saw Son had scored, and there's that fantastic image of of loads of people just saying Son, 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 and someone quoting it saying when when you when you your kid jumps into the pool without any armbands or something, which I thought <laughs> yeah. was superb. But then after that. I saw Liverpool equalise, and I was like, right, I'm not touching my phone then. So I did some dishes. I, I, I sort of frantically walked around the, the kitchen, and I think I got a text off my auntie uh, saying, oh, you seen the Liverpool square, et cetera, et cetera, and a, a big sigh of relief. And, and it was obviously on to Sunday. But before we get into the football then, if you could um, follow subscribe leave a rating review all of that lovely stuff if you're new around here that will really help us out as for today then we've obviously touched a bit on the on the football of the weekend but we're going to start with the big news surrounding Manchester City and that is obviously Erling Haaland's proposed move to East Manchester it's interesting then isn't it because obviously with the time difference you being in the US and and me being in the UK you've only really had the chance to take this this latest nugget of news in but um I'll do my best to summarise and maybe even information information for yourself, Adam. But um, it broke on Monday morning from David Arnstein at The Athletic that Erling ha- Haaland's move to Manchester City was pretty much done. It's close to being done without actually having the contract signed and whatnot. City are ready to activate Haaland's 75 million euro release clause, which I believe is about 62 million pounds for those wanting the conversions. Adam, you're going to have to do the, the dollars, but um, you can un- you can sort of gauge where it stands on the previous transfers and whatnot. Um, we've done loads and loads and loads on what this transfer would mean for City, what his playing style's like, what we can expect from him, where he would or or wouldn't work best in the team. But confirmation from reliable sources, stuff that we sort of we, we hinted at and we sort of kind of knew was going to happen, but this is essentially the rubber-stamped um, version of that news. What are your thoughts and feelings then as it edges closer to, to City confirming the transfer of Erlen Haaland? Yeah, I think we've talked a bit about maybe what it does to the team tactically, um, things like that, what, what it means for maybe some other players moving on from the club. Um, and we'll definitely speak more about it this summer when it's officially confirmed. Um, I think for me, it's just more of right now, it's a feeling of excitement around what the next evolution of this team is. Mm. Um, we've seen many evolutions of this team, as I've already kind of laid out before on previous episodes about, you know, Pep rebuilding the team in his image. And then, you know, the city was a very attacking, swashbuckling team for a few years, and then they became more solid and then they became really, really controlled like we've seen these days. And it's just going to be another evolution. And it's going to be really exciting to see how the team is built around him. I think it's safe to say he's a player you build a team around. Or if Pep says, I'm not building the team around you and we've got to find a way to fit mm-hmm. you into the way the team already plays. And, and that in itself will be very interesting. So it's going to be really intriguing because in, in City's current iteration, he's not necessarily a player that fits in all that well. Um, so I think just to kind of see how that plays out, and that's not me having any lack of confidence or in the move or anything like that. I, I'm just very excited to see kind of how it all works with him. You couldn't totally see a scenario where City go to Anfield next year and, I don't know, Erling Haaland starts on the bench or something like that, can't you? Because we all expect that the system to be ripped up. And, and to be honest, I do think you know City can afford, or Pep Guardiola can afford to sort of afford more more creative license to that front line and, and maybe not rely on the defence as much because hopefully City will, will score goals with him in the team. Um, as for the other details then, the release clause will have to be paid in one full payment rather than instalments. Brushy Dortmund play their final game of the Bundesliga campaign at home to Hertha Berlin this weekend, actually, so their, their season will be wrapped up. And the expectation is the transfer will be announced before then possibly to allow a farewell at the Westfalen Stadion for Haaland. One thing I'm intrigued here, really, and you know, like I said, we've we've done the bits and bobs about Haaland's playing style and what and where he'd fit into City. So we'll leave that alone. Go back and have a listen if if you're if you're interested in that. But one thing I'm interested in is how City go about announcing this because Typically speaking, Adam, German clubs aren't the most patient bunch when it comes to revealing other clubs' transfer dealings. And they have been known to spoil the party in terms of 
announcements in the past, especially those sort of deals between Dortmund and, and Bayern Munich, where Brussy Dortmund will jump on it about a week before Bayern were, were planning on uh, on doing the official announcement. So there, there's obviously the season is ongoing, and the likelihood of a big flashy announcement that we usually get in the summer is probably not going to be possible because you know, like I said, he's still part of a club who's who's albeit until recently been fighting to secure Champions League spots. So we could have a situation really where one of Europe's biggest talents, one of Europe's biggest transfer moves in a generation is announced via a black and white press release. And I suppose that's quite the city way, wouldn't it, for something like this to happen? Yeah, it would be uh, It would be typical city in, in many ways. Um, but yeah, I kind of expect it to be similar to the Julian Alvarez signing, which we saw um, this January, and obviously he's still at River Plate, and City just posted something up on the website. There wasn't a picture of him, you know, holding up a City kit or anything like that that we kind of expect from the signings these days. There were some quotes from him, and I think his dad in there about mm. joining the club, and that was about it. Um, but obviously, this is probably the most marquee signing in club history in regards to just how highly touted of a player he is. Um, so, yeah, it'll be intriguing to see kind of how they go about it. But I, I would expect that there is just a simple kind of black and white press release, something up on the website. Um, <clears throat> and then probably early on in the off season, whenever he comes back from holiday or whatever, we'll get the kind of uh, the videos and the interviews yeah. and the pictures that we're, we're all looking we're all looking forward to. So, yeah, it is it is typical city in many ways. To, to announce the club's probably most important signing of, of all time, certainly this generation um, in this way. But it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And obviously, I suppose the marketing department, this is the... They'll, they'll be hoping it isn't just one of those stick out on the website with a few words and a few quotes because, you know, in terms of the engagement competitions within football club, this is pretty big. But I suppose they have got a bit of something to work with in the fact that Alf Ingerharland obviously was a City player and these these images and videos from then and I suppose the, the creative geniuses could, could sort of ramble something together. But um, just an interesting one I've just picked up on there. You mentioned, obviously, City will probably look to do something in pre-season. But if you actually look at Norway's fixture list, they play four Nations League games between the 2nd of June and the 12th of June. So it it may be a situation where all we do get is that, that information on the website, a, a picture of him either in a Norway shirt or a, a Brussia Dortmund kit, because... That's quite a lot of games in, sh- in a short space of time. And I suppose you could look at it again from a footballing point of view. And you don't really want your most prized, expensive asset coming through the door, having played, what, four games within 10 days. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I think we're, we're ultimately always going to get the kind of videos and the pictures and the interviews that, you know, I think people are obsessed with these days. I would say that I've even recently become obsessed with them. I was never into that kind of thing before. Mm. I don't know what specific transfer it was. It might have even been Pep signing and and just being obsessed with watching him speak when he first joined yeah. the club. Um, but whether it comes in, you know, late July, early August, or or late June, eventually all the kind of normal stuff that we expect uh, is going to come. But yeah, it is. It's definitely kind of a, a situation without precedent at the moment. Finally, on Harlan, then, before we move on to some of the, the other important stuff from the weekend, it's strange, isn't it, really? Because for so long, all the talk has been about City needing a striker. That's how City, <laughs> if possible, go to the next level, despite pretty much competing for every single trophy in the last, what, three seasons, even four seasons. And and City tried with Messi, that didn't happen. They tried with Kane, that didn't happen. They weren't moves financially that suited City's sort of structure. So they left them alone and Guardiola built a system that thrives without a recognised number nine has been incredibly successful with it. Now then, we have a situation where a mechanical goal machine is set to arrive and in theory, City should dominate shouldn't they because that's what we've been told that's what we've been led to believe but is it going to be as simple as Haaland walking through the door sticking on a City shirt scoring 30 goals across all competitions winning I don't know two three out of the four trophies and everyone lives a happy life or is it potentially a, a, a bumpy road ahead I wouldn't say it's potentially a bumpy road but the expectation that City now scores seven eight goals a game uh, and they kind of cruise to every single trophy. It's just, it's absolute nonsense in all honesty. Mm. Um, 
the system is going to have to change to fit him in. That's going to take time. Um, and one thing that City has going for them that make them such a difficult team to play against is that control of midfield, the ability to completely dominate the ball, dominate the tempo of the game. That's going to change slightly. Um, what makes City so hard to get the ball from and and kind of wrestle any control from them is the fact that you have an extra midfielder stepping in to midfield and and being able to pick up the ball from deep and 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 outnumber the opponent's midfield that's not going to happen anymore unless Erling Holland is the man doing that or if there's some sort of false winger who knows what Pep is mm. going to do um but you know one thing people are always saying is oh city had you know this this many missed chances in the game but you stick a striker in there and they're all scored it doesn't work that way no. go and look at many of of City's miss big miss chances this season, a lot of them fall to wingers. You know, they they don't necessarily fall to where a a striker would be. Um, but look, every every action has a reaction. So perhaps those those chances are now being created specifically for the striker. Um, but no, it doesn't necessarily make City this juggernaut all of a sudden. Um, and also, it's worth mentioning: Do City have problems they need fixing? They're the highest scoring team in the league. They, you know, were minutes away from a second straight Champions League final. They're they're likely, hopefully, going to win a, a fourth Premier League in five years. Um, they were one game from an FA Cup. And look, obviously, you could say that right there that they they were a couple steps away from kind of total domination, and and this may be the final piece. But um, this team's pretty damn good as it is. Um, so. Yeah, it's it's not going to necessarily be you just stick him in and he, he's got a hat trick every single game. There's going to be a, a teething period, and um, I think that should be expected from everybody. It's kind of outlandish expectations to think that you stick a 21, 22-year-old straight into this team, an, a well-oiled machine, um, and he gets it right away. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but it's certainly not a, a plug-and-play for me. It's it's a paradox, really, isn't it? Because you've got a situation where City are so good at what they do. They score so many goals. They're fighting pretty much in every single competition until the latter stages. And then you go, well, actually, there is a little bit of improvement to be made. Is it a striker? Go out and buy a striker. And then suddenly the the things that City did so well might not even happen anymore. You speak about the the chance creation and... um, and, and City missing chances, who's to say those chances are created if you then take away one of those midfield players? And it almost feels as if City would be doing the domination, the four trophies with ease, if you played with 12 players and you, you did have an extra extra striker in there like Erling Haaland. But we'll wait and see. I, I, I can say with confidence this won't be the last conversation about Haaland between now and, I don't know, 2030, let's hope. And uh, we'll, we'll eagerly await his announcement, all those, all those lovely photos in a City shirt, and then obviously... Next season, when he takes the pitch, but in terms of football, that is going on at the moment. Then, obviously, let's get on to Manchester City five, Newcastle United nil. City successfully negotiating a, a potential banana skin, really, especially when you think about what happened in midweek and then bouncing back from the abject defeat against Real Madrid in some style. Plenty of the talk heading into the game then surrounded City's mental fragility, but they didn't really show any signs of weakness at all, did they? They didn't. Uh, I thought it was the perfect response after you know the events in Madrid during the week. You know, a five 0 victory. You take control of the the goal difference race. You've got a variety of scorers chipping in with goals and assists. Um, you know, it checked a lot of boxes for me. The stadium was up for it, which mm. you know I think was very very important. Um, you know, kind of signals to the players that. The fans are fully behind them in this title race, and and you know the Champions League disappointment didn't necessarily dampen anybody's support. Um, it showed us that all the the nonsense of of Guardiola's team lacking resolve, professionalism, character um, that it was just nonsense. Um, as most of us who have watched this team for for years on end uh, understand at this point. So yeah, for me, it checked a lot of boxes. I don't think you could have asked for necessarily necessarily anything better. I think we were all just hoping for a good a good performance and a decent result, and and it, and it was it was much more than that. 
I'd say, I'd definitely say, and I echo that about the stadium. It was it was bouncing even at nil nil. It was um, it was really good atmosphere, and and you sort of felt that would be the case after Real Madrid anyway. You know, City fans, players, managers, coaches alike wouldn't sort of have any 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 hesitation in saying the Premier League is always a priority, and that still remains the case regardless of what happened in the in the Spanish capital. But um, one thing I was really impressed with then was the second half performance more than anything because the, the first half was good. It was it was really good in City. Again, going back to it, missed a couple of chances and it could have been a, a more healthy scoreline at the break than 2-0. But there were moments where Newcastle were able to threaten City's back line and they probably should have scored at least one, really. From the, from the first whistle then in the second half, though, City controlled and composed the game completely it, it was it was astonishing. It was it was almost going back to that sort of textbook performance we've seen in title races gone by, where City get hold of the ball, they pass a, a team to death. But the, again, there was almost a bit uh, an extra zip about it. There's there's a bit more style than that sort of usual <clears throat> robotic side to side patient build up. And then you know three goals, albeit two in added time, I think it was, and the goal difference swings into City's favour heading into the final three games. And it, it the second half, I just thought really showed. The, the mental resilience that lots of people were doubting and, and again, back, back to City's best, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. And you could see Pep Guardiola was was loving it on the touchline. I think when the fifth goal went in, he was just kind of mm. laughing with joy. Um, yeah, it was, it was a well-controlled half. Um, one of those halves where City were able to pour on the goals but not necessarily um, expend too much energy, which mm. I think important going into the final three games of the season um but it was just it was such a brilliant response and i'm sure the players would have known that all the talk around them going to this game was how do they respond how do they respond and and it was it was absolutely perfect and one thing you kind of have to to tip your cap to is a lot of those players that were on the pitch today or some of the guys that were on the pitch for the for the uh, two Madrid goals yeah, in extra time, yeah. like Matt Grealish, Raheem Sterling, guys that actually joined that game as substitutes, not from the start, mm. um, which, you know, not necessarily saying that they they take the blame or anything like that, but were they thinking that, oh, this, this game swung when I came in and um, some mm-hmm. of the blame falls at me? And look, it was it was incredible resilience from from the whole group. And it's one of those performances that is just a reminder to everybody that there's absolutely no reason to doubt them, especially in Premier League title races, because City have have been there and done this before. Um, and with that with that being said, I think it's something that they'll take into the the final three games, and they'll just kind of keep building on that each week, each week, kind of the way we felt in 2018-19 that it was just yeah they were kind of inevitable, and and each scrappy performance or or great performance they just built on each one each week, and that took them all the way down to the final day. Let's do some of the individual talk then, because you almost feel with Pep Guardiola, he's a manager who will never, ever, ever give players the opportunity to shy away. And if there's if there's criticisms <clears throat> to be had, then they're, they're put out on the pitch at the next available opportunity. And I think we've seen that sort of with the substitutes or lack thereof at times in, in big games. And if it's nil-nil, take, for example, Crystal Palace away... He gives the players who started the game, played well in that game, but weren't able to find a goal, the opportunity to go on and get the goal. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And obviously there you say some of those who were on the pitch at the Bernabeu, when those those two goals went in, and albeit he came on in extra time, but one person who was on the pitch at full time, Raheem Sterling, he got two of City's goals. And there was a nice little symmetry, wasn't there, between him scoring the first and the final goal. But speaking of textbook performances, that was... That was what we've come to know and expect from Raheem Sterling in these title races, isn't it? And that uh, is it fair to call him a squad player now? Has he sort of gone from being one of the first names on the team sheet to actually maybe not being involved in that sort of first start in eleven for big games? But he, he was he was on fire against Newcastle and took his chances with a plumb, which I don't think we've seen composure in front of goal this season really from Raheem Sterling and how vital a weapon that could be heading into the final three Premier League games. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to see him get on the score sheet. I think with those two goals, he's actually moved into second in the in the goal scoring charts yeah. for the, for the yeah. team this year, which is incredible. And like you said, he's not necessarily a go-to starter at the moment. Um, but look, he's obviously a guy that gets a lot of criticism, criticism that I understand, criticism that I've 
you know, kind of given him myself, um, whether it's vocally or subconsciously. And that's the fact that sometimes he does miss, miss the odd chance. Um, but I think one thing that people need to, to kind of grasp about Raheem Sterling is the reason he has the opportunity to miss many big chances is because there's probably nobody else better on the team at getting into yeah. the right position. You know, we constantly bang on about how we don't have a fox in the box. And mm. yes, we do. It's Raheem Sterling. He doesn't finish them like Sergio Aguero mm. did or, or or Ed and Jekyll or somebody like that. But he gets into positions that nobody else in the team can get into. Um, and it, it's, it's the reason why in the years where he has been kind of on top goal scoring for him, you think of 17, 18, 18, 19, he was scoring 30-odd goals in mm. all competitions those seasons because – he is absolutely incredible at being in the right place for tap-ins. And that, that, is a, that is a luxurious skill to have. People, I know we use the phrase tap-in merchant. The kids use the phrase tap-in <laughs> merchant these days. But do you know how good and smart you have to be to be a tap-in merchant in professional yeah, football? Yeah. It is a very hard skill to do. Um, so he deserves all the praise he's been getting since that performance. And, and hopefully it's something for him to build on and and he could be, you know, a kind of surprise key member of, of this title run. And if, if he keeps scoring like that. Yeah, I think he, he also saw somewhere jumped ahead of Aguero in terms of goals scored under Pep Guardiola. And obviously the, the sort of Aguero having finished his season, well, it was last year, but you could possibly say it was the season before, given the injuries he had last season. There's obviously extra gains in there, I suppose, and and, and whatnot, but it's still an incredible achievement. And um, he actually took himself to 50 goals at the Etihad Stadium as well. So the, there's so many records for Raheem Sterling, who, who often goes underlooked, I suppose. And if he was to leave City, whenever that might be, I think he'd be a, a, great, a great miss. And it's one of those where you probably... Don't realise what you've got until it's gone. Um, another standout performer for me then, Jack Grealish. And, you know, long-time listeners won't be surprised to see me bringing up this this man's name as a, as a, an avid Jack Grealish defender. But I thought he was absolutely excellent against Newcastle. And I actually thought he was excellent against Real Madrid. And, you know, we didn't touch on that last week. But it's been a good couple of performances for him that, again, have gone under the radar a little bit. The caveat is obviously it's only Newcastle, blah, 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 they're... 13th whatever blah blah but they'd actually won 10 of the last 15 games in the Premier League which is astonishing really and I think perhaps only Liverpool and City taken more points during that in that time so they're definitely an informed side and after Real Madrid having sort of had those two chances and not being able to take them and, and secure City's place in the final you could have possibly been forgiven for thinking he maybe was one of the more emotionally damaged ones from that tie. And in fact, he came out in interviews before the game. He spoke about the state of the dressing room and the mental sort of um, where they were men- mentally heading into the weekend. And he was on post-match duty as well, having just played an absolutely superb 90 minutes of football. Some stats from that game then. 40 out of his 44 passes were completed. 97% of those passes were in the final third. They were also successful. And four key passes in the 90 minutes with one leading to an assist right at the end. We know he can provide these sort of performances. It's not exactly like it's a shock or a surprise, but it's great to see him really sort of getting into his groove in a city shirt and, and pulling them off in front of a, a bouncing crowd who I think at the end he celebrated that assist more than he would have if he celebrated a goal. Yeah, I think that the most important part was that it resulted in an assist and what I'll call a hockey assist, the assist before the assist, which I believe in football should be counted the way it is in hockey, which it's counted as a full assist. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because you look at that, was it Zinchenko that that kind of scuffed it to Foden and then Foden tapped it in? That that run was superb, wasn't it? That goal was all Jack Grealish. He he picks up the ball kind of right in front of the fourth official with with his heels on the on the touchline and was it, I think it was, was it Kieran Trippier that he went past and just, just absolutely skinned him. Mm-hmm. What goes all the way around him, pulls yeah. the ball back and, and for Zinchenko to kind of, you know, scuff it to Foden. So that goal was all Jack Grealish, but it's not going to go down as any, anything in the, uh, the score sheet. So I tweeted at full time, Jack Grealish was bad again today <laughs> because for me, that that right there was the kind of performance that we've seen many yeah, times yeah. from him at City. Know, yeah. And it, it hasn't always result. It was like it finally took him for, to getting one true assist that people realized, oh, he actually played well the entire yeah, 90 minutes. Yeah. Whereas like 
there there are many games where he could have had a few assists. Um, but yeah, look, um, I along with many other people are very excited for the second season, Jack Grealish. Mm. You know, we always talk about uh, an attacking player under Pep. The second season's when they come along, and if Erling Holland is coming into this team, you know, people people forget that. He played almost every game in the first ten games of the season this year, yeah. And he was he was the best chance creator on the team by far. Yeah, he had the yeah. most he had the most expected assists by far on this team. And look, I know that that's only expected assists. It doesn't necessarily mean anything if those assists don't turn into anything. But you stick a guy in the box that can finish these chances, and the, Jack Grealish is going to be racking up the numbers. Mm-hmm. So, look, I'm I. I'm all for the Jack Grealish second season Romantada, and and I thought his performance on Sunday was kind of exactly what we're going to hopefully be seeing from from week in week out from him, and and it's also not a surprise, which is I, I want to drive that point home. That's not a surprise. Yeah, We've seen yeah. this before. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned that obviously some people to legitimize a good performance need numbers, don't they? And if you hadn't got an assist, I'd have still been banging the same drum as I have been for for a lot of the season. Um, just looking at some of the stats then. This last year or so, uh, most of which has been in a city shirt, he's created five shot creating actions per ninety minutes. And you mentioned there chucking a striker who can who can score goals, and he could p- perhaps be the biggest benefactory of that. And um, we do wait and see. Obviously, a lot of the talk has been, oh, it's going to be Jack Grealish's second season. If it doesn't happen next year again, I suppose this is maybe covering my tracks. Then it doesn't have to be again. Or you know, it's a waste of money. Blah blah blah. It's funny actually. In the in the UK, there's a uh, a, a pundit ex-player, Paul Merson, who came out on the eve of the Newcastle United game slating Jack Grealish, saying that he needs to leave City to sort of revitalise his career. And he was the same person who was who was criticising Manchester City for spending all that money on a certain Kevin De Bruyne. So um, maybe it was just the Paul Merson backing that he needed. The Paul Merson curse strikes again. But lots of good just, news from... Just one on, thing, Amos, before on. we move on to... to to something other than Jack Grealish. It's worth mentioning that looking at his numbers at Villa, his best year statistically in a Villa shirt in the Premier League was six goals, 10 assists. Okay. So like, yeah, why, why anybody? And this is, you know, this is a Villa where he was picking up the ball between the center halves. He was picking up the ball in the wing. He was picking up the yeah. ball in midfield. Everything ran through him. So why anybody would expect him to come into this team where he's just simply not going to be the focal point of the attack mm, mm. to come in and even match those numbers, I think would be too lofty of expectations. This yeah. is a guy that, and obviously this all comes down to his price tag, which A, he didn't set, B, it was a release clause, so it doesn't necessarily mean that City yeah. valued him as a hundred million pound player. It's just all they could pay to get him out of Villa. Um but why anybody would expect to, for him to come in and, and match or better those statistics in a team where he's not the focal point, I think is un, unreasonable expectations. Um, we had a big discussion on Twitter over the weekend, and uh, it was Asen from the 9320 pod who, whose opinion I, va- I value highly, but me and him were kind of debating Grealish's impact so far. And he said something along the lines of, you know, the levels are Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden, and Bernardo Silva, and Jack Grealish isn't there yet. Hmm. And I, I was just thinking, if you expect every single player to come into the team to be at the level of Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden, and Bernardo Silva, you're going to be disappointed nine out of ten signings that we yeah. make. Because those yeah. guys are on a completely different planet from every other footballer in the world. So, look, that's all I wanted to say on Jack Grealish. I think people need to lower their expectations, and that's not because he's not a good player. It's because his role in this team may not result in 10 goals, 10 assists every single season. Yeah, you mentioned the trio of plays there, De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden. I think you could easily go back and look at the last three years and there have been dips in form for all three of those. And Phil Foden's a bit different because he's he's bro- uh, breaking through the academy and I've said a number of times when Foden's been at his peak performances, there will come a time when Foden's not exactly in the in the headlines as much as he is and you know it may be a case of him having a poor season. De Bruyne, start of this year, was he in contention for player of the year? I don't think he was even close. And and it seems a dead cert, doesn't it, from a from a city point of view that he, he he's been one of the best players and obviously Bernardo Silva. Plenty of talk about him moving away because he wasn't getting enough game time. So I think he's spot on there. Lower the expectations and I I do I genuinely believe he'll he'll reap the rewards. And 
how happy we will both be when when he when he does just that. And, and I believe anyone who who's sort of not convinced by him yet will be incredibly happy to see him do it as well. Raheem Sterling, Riyad Mahrez, they're, they're your examples of, of those who have done it in the past. Um, moving on then, because I, I do think we probably could speak about Jack Grealish for a, a long time. And, and just, la- I promise the last point on Jack Grealish, if you get a part, if you get a chance, go and seek out the video where he's with, uh, I think it's a girl called Abby. Was it? it was going around a few months ago where a girl in a wheelchair in the when the, when the players were coming in, he gave, he went over and, and sort of signed a shirt for her. But he actually invited her to go and watch a, a game in his box, and she gave him a present back. And a few onions were cut, I believe, when I was watching that video. Mm. It's absolutely fantastic. So if you get a chance, go and get that. But yeah, last point on Jack Grealish, done and dusted. Um, a bit of frustrating news then from the Newcastle game. Pep Guardiola announced post match that Ruben Diaz, Kyle Walker, and John Stones will all miss the final few matches of the season through injury. Diaz obviously has just come back from an injury with Walker, obviously going off in the midweek game against Real Madrid, and the same happening to John Stones in the first leg. It leaves quite the black hole, doesn't it, at the back for City? And albeit there's only three games of the campaign remaining, but it's just not the sort of news you want to hear when those injuries are starting to pile up. It doesn't. And look, I don't think the sky is falling. Um, I've seen some people saying, you know, that there's some blame to be laid at Pep Guardiola's doorstep for how he handled the the winter fixtures and hmm. and so on and so forth. And oh, we don't have a big enough squad to deal with it. But if if three of your starting back four is out for the remainder of the season and your center back pairing for those games, and obviously we'll talk about Nathan Ake's role in Wolves if he has any. Yeah. Um, but if, if your center back pairing is now Nathan Ake and I'm Eric Laporte, um, I think you're feeling okay about missing three players. And look, obviously I'd rather have Ruben Diaz healthy. I'd rather have John Stones healthy. I'd rather have Kyle Walker healthy. But uh, we're not left with with Finley Burns and, and Eric Garcia as the two center backs. Like there's still two very formidable center backs yeah. that are, are yeah. ready to step in. And, and Laporte's obviously a, a starter in almost every big game this season. Nathan Ake has proved himself to be very formidable in the past. We've been banging the Nathan Ake drum for as yeah. long as I yeah, can remember yeah. at this point. Um, whether there's an issue of energy for these two guys to have to play. I mean, Ake sounds like he's only going to be playing two of the final three, whether Laporte kind of runs out of gas. Hmm. Um, but look, it's three games. We may have to limp through them, but you just you get through them. And, and people, I think people don't remember that the 2018-19 run-in, which, you know, obviously we've been making countless comparisons to, to this year's run-in. City, City finished that season without Fernandinho, without Kevin De Bruyne. Hmm. Those are those are two crucial players. I mean, think about taking Rodri out of this team right now. That yeah, that's what yeah. it would that's what it would mean to take Fernandinho out of that team in 2018-19. The city got through that. They won the title. So I'm not saying the sky is falling, anything like that. I, I've seen many ridiculous football Twitter accounts responding to to these posts saying, uh, season's over, congratulations, Liverpool, and all this. Grow up. <laughs> Grow up. These are these are professional footballers. This is the best team in Europe. They're, they'll they'll find a way. They'll find a way to make it work. Yeah, I feel like you need to take up a role of being a football Twitter vigilante and just going around, sort of blocking these <laughs> accounts out from the, from the world when they say stuff like this. I I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Um, if City then go on to lose and such, what it doesn't happen. Yao Cancelo, Zinchenko, Laporte, and Nathan Ake through injury in the next two weeks or whatever, then we do start sort of ringing the crisis alarms. I guess the the point for me, though, is the fact that these are all muscle injuries and that's when you're getting so many muscle injuries that you sort of start to question, is there a, is there an element of these players being played too much? And, and don't get me wrong, it isn't just a city, a city issue. These players have played a lot of football. They're mainly internationals. And I think, what is it, all, all three of those would have played in the Euros. I think I'm right in saying John Stones, Walker and, and Diaz. Yeah, yeah, they, they yeah. would have done. So they have essentially come off the back of a gruelling campaign where 
if we just sort of rewind 12 months, it wasn't just Champions League and, and Premier League that was was weekend midweek. It was Premier League in there as well. I think from February, maybe, there was one or two weeks where City didn't have a midweek game. So they've played an awful lot of football. So it's perhaps maybe to be expected with sort of seeing the effects of COVID and football and, and it's coming at this point. It was never going to happen sort of during the start of the season when they're at the prime fitness. It was going to be at the end. Um, but, but these are probably three players who... 90% of City fans would put in their starting uh, preferred back four. And okay, mm-hmm. you take one away, it's, it, it should be fine. But when you get the three of them together, I suppose you do start getting into a, a little bit of worry because um, let, let's combine the two then, Wolves away. Where do we see the back four sort of looking like going into that game? If we sort of if we sort of say Cancelo starts on the right, uh, Zinchenko on the left, if fit enough, and let's bloody hope he is. Laporte starts in one of those centre back partners, uh, in one of those centre back positions. You've got a situation where you either go Rodri, you either go Fernandinho. I think Egan Riley came on to play in that position yesterday, but has done that a little bit for the EDS, but probably wouldn't be classed as his natural position. And then obviously Luke Mbete, who's the one who's been within the squad, but hasn't particularly had a lot of first team experience when when needed this season as well. Yeah, so look, if Pep Guardiola hasn't fully ruled Nathan Ake out for Wolves, I think it's worth pointing that that out. Don't hold yeah. your breath, but he hasn't yeah. fully ruled him out. Um, maybe it's uh, something along the lines of, uh, you know, it gets 10, 15 minutes at the end. But um, I think there's some precedent for this situation, and that is Liverpool last season. Um when obviously they had Van Dyke out long term, they had mm-hmm. Matip out for a bit, they had Gomez out. And what did Jurgen Klopp do? He dropped Jordan Henderson and Fabinho into <laughs> the back four. And the whole team capitulated. And that's why that they they scraped, barely scraped yes. into a top four place. But they only scraped into a top four place when Jurgen Klopp woke up and realized that taking Jordan Henderson and Fabinho out of his midfield killed everything about mm. the team in mm. every aspect of the pitch. And they put, what was it, Nat Phillips and Ozan Kabak as their, yeah. their, yeah. As their two center backs. And, and they scraped their way into top four. So I think the worst thing that we could possibly do is start taking key players from other aspects of the pitch and, and mm. putting them in at center back. I think that's the worst thing that City could possibly do, whether that's Rodri or, or anybody else. Obviously, uh, Pep Guardiola made a joke about Phil Foden playing center half um, in, in the, the post-game presser. But I think you put Fernandinho in there because he's done it before. But I think mm-hmm. taking Rodri out of midfield would be an absolute mistake. An absolute mistake. Because if you can control the game further up the pitch, then you can ease the pressure off of that back four. So whether it's Luke Mbete or Fernandinho, I think you you kind of have to go like for like here. And, and keep everything else on the team normal. Because once yeah. you start filling round holes with square pegs, then that means that there's other round holes filled with square pegs elsewhere. Because City don't have the depth that they can't take Rodri out and stick somebody else in. I know Fernandinho, obviously, but is Fernandinho now a defender for the rest of the season? <laughs> so, look, Pep Guardiola, please hear my pleas. <laughs> Just stick a defender in there. Yeah. Whether it's yeah. Bernardino or Luca Mbete or CJ Egan Riley, just stick a defender in there and let the rest of the team settle at the way they always have. Please. Please. Ruben Diaz. Ruben Diaz holes in Rodri Pegs. That's not what we want to see, really, is it? Right. Um, but yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. It's it's funny, isn't it, actually? Just just going back a few years when Pep Guardiola arrived. A lot of the talk was what would be his masterstroke. What what player would he turn into? This sort of take Philip Lahm, for example, or Joshua Kimmich, and you know you, you take a, a defender and they play cent- central midfield, or you know blah, blah, blah. And a lot of it was Fernandinho is going to become this incredible right sided defender who can cut in and dominate in midfield as well. And we never really saw that, did we? From a, from Guardiola, there was never one player who he really transformed their position. Yeah, you know there were the tweaks and stuff like that, but there wasn't any really big um, big transformations yet yeah, in what looks like it's going to be Fernandinho's last three games in a City shirt he has turned into the the, the orthodox defender and, and it's come full circle hasn't it um, it will be it will be interesting I, I definitely agree it's better to have one problem in one position than 
four problems in or four slightly lesser problems on paper in four different positions but when you, you accumulate them it does start to become quite the headache I would probably if I'm to say Nathan Ake sits out and to be honest I'll, I'll throw this in I'd rather Nathan Ake sets out one game and played the final two rather than what we've seen with with um, the likes of Kyle Walker and John Stones than playing 60, 70, 80 minutes in one game and then miss the final two. So I, I would, I'd be content with Fernandinho. I would tr- traditionally, if it's me sat at my computer on Football Manager, go for a natural centre-back, someone like Luke Mbete, but it's Guardiola, isn't it? And, and we know the, the the sort of policy he takes on that. And final question on this then, um, and you can sort of incorporate your, your Wolves preview into this if you like, but do you think there's perhaps a, a a criticism to level at Pep Guardiola in the sort of the the lesser cup games? Let's put them that way, where the likes of Luke and Bette maybe haven't played as much football. I'm thinking Peterborough away, for example, or or maybe even going further back into Swindon in the FA Cup and stuff like that, where you have a situation where you give these players first team experience, then and in the final issue in the final uh, games, if there's any issues, they know what to do. They know who's around them on the football pitch rather than being in a situation now where you've got um, three or a couple of defenders out injured and then not knowing exactly who to put in. Do you risk a a 37-year-old, 36-year-old midfielder or do you go for the younger player instead? It's interesting because we obviously had that cup tie with Wickham Wanderers early on in the season um, and it was basically an entire EDS squad other than I think maybe Phil Foden and Kevin De Bruyne were in that team. It's got a couple of goals as well, I think. Yeah. So... I think that maybe I had thought that that maybe set a precedent for the season mm-hmm. that Pep wasn't necessarily going to play full strength sides in the cups like we've seen in the past. Um, I don't know whether some of the bigger cup ties—I'll say bigger cup ties—but you know the 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 Peterboroughs and the Swindons coming away from home if that affected things and maybe okay. he's he's more reluctant to mm-hmm. play a handful of kids all together away from home, especially you know how the FA, FA Cup can get—you yeah, can go somewhere yeah. that maybe a a championship side or a league one side, but the stadium's going to be up for it. And for many of those young kids, it's probably the hottest atmosphere they'll they'll have played in in their lives. Um, But I don't know if there's necessarily blame to be, to be put at Pep Guardiola's door. I don't know what more he maybe could have done. Cause I I think I maybe would have done the same thing. I wouldn't have put a back Mm. four of, of Finley Burns, CJ Egan, Riley, Luke and Bette and, and another kid in there. Um, so for, for away games, I'm talking, so I don't know. I, I think it's just hindsight because we've done this in the past where he plays, you know, kind of full strength, whether they're somewhat rotated, but he plays big world-class internationals in, in kind of the lower cup games and, and we've gotten away with it. So I don't know. I think it's just hindsight that, oh, now we've got all this muscle injuries. Let's go back and dissect when these players should and shouldn't have played. Maybe they played too much for their countries. Maybe they played too much in this competition or that competition. I think it's just kind of all hindsight. Okay, let's let's leave that behind then and do a bit of fun stuff to finish, going back to the Newcastle game then. And sort of wider philosophical points when this podcast. Um after after the Newcastle game then, Guardiola set out on a full scale offensive against Liverpool and the media. The full quote, there's loads of quotes, but but one of the full quotes read Everyone in this country supports Liverpool, the media and everyone. Our destiny is in our own hands, and that is important. How I interpreted this then, um, not I, I think it's I think that's perhaps a little bit wrong to start off with. Not everyone in this country and and sort of in football in general wants Liverpool to win the league. That the sort of the basic fundamentals of football is you have partisan crowds, which one team wants one team to win, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But sports media as an institution for me is is definitely geared towards both favouring Liverpool and Manchester United and. It's pretty simple. They have the biggest fan bases. Fan bases lead to people interacting and that leads to money. And, you know, that's how, how they stay afloat. Um, the two of the world's best supported clubs, obviously. And all you need to do is switch on the TV and there's an ex-Liverpool or United player on the sports news, offering insight, doing punditry or co-commentary and whatnot. And yes, City might one day get to that get that same treatment and get ex-players and, and fans and whatnot being so sort of high up in the in these media roles. But at this point, it is so entrenched. And I can guess why, when Guardiola has done what he's done in England, brought as much success, rewritten the rules of English football, that he 
probably looks at this and goes, you know, everyone wanting Liverpool to do the quadruple, for example. Why? Like, why is it any different for when a couple of years ago City were doing it? And and I guess that's where he's coming from. You know, a couple of funny things. One thing is, I think if you asked a thousand neutrals, 999 would want City to win the title. Because I think, I I genuinely think Pep underestimates how much people loathe Liverpool. I I think he does. And I think that we're bombarded with pro Liverpool kind of stuff on our timelines. And that's just because that's what City fans interact with. But if you go and ask a, I don't know, a Palace fan or or whoever, people don't like Liverpool. Yeah, that's right. don't like them for a variety of reasons that we don't need to get into on this this podcast. People do not like Liverpool. And yes, people don't like City and where the money came from and the amount of money and blah, 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 blah. But I think there are a lot of people that would rather City win the title than Liverpool. Maybe not in the media. Yeah. Maybe not on, on... the social media that we're consuming, but that's just because we live in this title race bubble. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that's funny is this is where being an American is actually a really good thing because our coverage of English football in general is not nearly as biased. Our kind yeah, of daily, yeah. our kind of daily um, panel, so to speak, for for the big Premier League match days is. Um, Robbie Earl, Robbie Musto, and Tim Howard, and D- Danny Higginbotham, who obviously is uh, Manchester born and bred. He's a United fan, yeah, but he's he's fantastic, and it's actually great. You know, our we've got Peter Drury calling games. We've got I think it's Ian Dark calling games, uh, Arlo White calling games, mm-hmm. and I think they're fantastic. Some people have some gripes about them, um, but who doesn't? Um, so it's actually really funny that I will watch a game and be like, man, Peter Jury is incredible. And then I'm reading like people that have had to deal with like a Manchester Derby being called by Jamie Carragher and yeah, Gary Neville. And yeah. it's like, I cannot fathom what that experience is yeah. like. Um, so if you're listening to this, I highly suggest you find some illegal streams and watch the US <laughs> coverage of every city game going forward. Um, but yeah, look, Pep has a point, but I think mm. he's more talking about the media and I wouldn't say that Pep is out there consuming football Twitter that much on a daily basis. Um, but I think if you ask Tottenham fans, Arsenal fans, clubs like that, they they probably don't want Liverpool winning things. I think that's the general feeling. But maybe I'm in an anti-Liverpool mm. bubble. Yeah, I, I issue an apology, actually. When you said that, um, the 999 people, I actually thought you said they, they'd want Liverpool to win the league. So, hence my shot reaction. But I completely agree. Um, in, in England, Liverpool are up there with the most hated clubs away from Liverpool fans. The, the difference being there are an awful lot of Liverpool fans. So, you start to see where the issues sort of come into it. Um, just one example of this media favouritism then in the, in the last 24 hours that I'll pick up on. You mentioned his name there, Jamie Carragher. Ex-Liverpool player, of course. Uh, possibly even a captain at one point. I can't remember if he ever wrangled the the armband off Steven Gerrard. Probably not actually saying that. Um, but but after the Newcastle game, then in the in the usual Sky Sports studio where they like to say controversial stuff, so it can be clipped up for social media and people like us, the plebs like us, pick up on it. Um, while Pep was actually giving his press conference saying that everyone in the media wants Liverpool to win, Jamie Carragher was spewing nonsense about City not being a big club until they win the Champions League. And this is the same Jamie Carragher who played for a Liverpool side that that didn't win a league title, only came close on a number of occasions for the best part of 30 years. Obviously, he did get a Champions League win, but even by their own admission, the 2005 Champions League victory was one of the... probably one of the most dramatic, one of, probably one of the most sort of the the remembered Champions League finals for obvious reasons. But the squad itself is does not go down in Liverpool history as being one of the best. You might get one or two players in there who are who are cult heroes and obviously Steven Gerrard being being uh top of that list in terms of in terms of the best players. But you look at the Liverpool team that that's challenging now. It, it's streets away. And I just feel like we're at a point now where City aren't only threatening the established cartel, so to speak, that they're crushing them. And stuff like that Jamie Carragher spiel on on Sky Sports saying City aren't a big club. It's just insecurity that that sort of that is the only thing that can be leveled at City at this point. It is. And look, I have been a very, very firm uh 
denier of the Champions League meaning the the Champions League winner being the best team mm, in Europe. Yeah. It's just yeah. it's just simply not true. There are so many people on social media that will st- that say it's the the most prestigious competition in Europe. If you win it, you are the best team in in Europe. I'm going to go out a limb on a limb right now and say that Liverpool's road to both the FA Cup final and the Carabao Cup final were more difficult than their road to the Champions League final this season. <laughs> they played clubs I like I think that's fair. Arsenal, City, Chelsea. Hell, even Leicester is a better side than Villarreal. It's <laughs> yeah. just it's yeah. just as simple as that. Yeah. So, look, it's a competition that is just luck of the draw and I know that if it were the other way around and City were racking up Champions Leagues but couldn't get it done in the league and Liverpool had seven league titles since 1992, that Jamie Carragher would be saying, well, if you can't do it over a 38-game yeah. season, you're yeah. not a big club. It's just yeah. the way it is. If, if it were flipped, he would be flipped. It's just as simple <laughs> as that. And this, I think this is a wider discussion that we'll probably have on some more special episodes this summer just about kind of what competitions are actually hard mm. to win and, and what aren't. But I I want to make that statement right now. I'm looking straight into all of our TikTok viewers right now. <laughs> Liverpool had a tougher time qualifying for the Carabao Cup final and the FA Cup final than the Champions League final. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. And yeah, it sums it up really, doesn't it? Because um, I forget who, who tweeted this morning. Uh, I'm sort of looking through my sleep sleep covered eyes but um someone prominent in city twitter apologies for for not getting the name but they, they basically said to win the league you play 19 teams twice to win the champions league you play seven teams you play uh seven of however many in the fa cup and, and similar for the for the league cup out of the 92 teams it is literally we, we did it after the real madrid game literally look at the draw um okay then let, let's wrap then on something a little more ha- uh, light-hearted to do with pep thoughts on his jumper um, selection then because it, it, <laughs> it I stared is at phenomenal. that for so long <laughs> trying to figure out if it was photoshopped or not because his little shiny bald head sticking out of that pink and purple stripe jumper I was staring at that like that is absolutely photoshopped and then later in the day I showed it to my girlfriend and she said that's photoshopped oh, I said no man. that's not it's not I, oh, t- you know what's funny though I think I'd be more excited just I think we're talking about the picture uh, that I can't remember the guy's name. Alex Clapham. Alex Clapham, yeah. But he also posted a picture with Juan Malillo. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I think I'd be more excited about a conversation with him, especially because he doesn't speak a lick of English. (laughs) Because I I love that guy. The the thought of Juan Malillo's day, like I want to know what goes on in his whole day, especially match days, because he sits on the bench and has no communication with the players because yeah. <laughs> only yeah. the Spanish speaking ones will understand anything he's saying. And he just like lives in this bubble where the only yeah. people he talks to <clears throat> are the assistants and Pep Guardiola. <laughs> I want to know what his life is like in Manchester. Uh, could you imagine, obviously he retired, um, uh, I think it was last season, but could you imagine what he was like with Brian Kidd? Like this, this stalwart of traditional English football <laughs> sat next to a, a fellow who doesn't speak of any English at all. I bet their interactions are superb. It reminds me of like, you know, that um that uh, Carlo Ancelotti sort of mystique with his raised eyebrow. I can just imagine that's the only way he communicates through uh through like gesticulations and stuff like that. Yeah, no, it's it's incredible. And what a what a way to cap off your night to run into to mm. Juan Ma and Pep just walking down the street. But um, yeah, Pep is uh, he's a fashion icon. It's worth pointing out. Oh, his his wife is. Don't forget that she dresses him. And uh, yeah, oh, he's, right, right, right. Yeah, it's a, it's a quite the statement, quite the statement. And having just sort of <laughs> rattled the entirety of of Liverpool and their fan base to go out for an evening's meal wearing something that looks like your grandma's knitted, but uh, only one man would be able to do it, and, and that is indeed Josep Guardiola. But um, we'll call it a day then. Absolute pleasure, as always. It's nice to get back on the on the podcasting after a victory uh, and, and no trauma this week, but but who knows in the in the, the weeks that come. Anything else to add before we bounce? I do not. Uh, I assume we'll be back here in the next couple of days after the Wolves game, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we'll wait and see what the back four looks like and hopefully it isn't any uh, Rodri pegs in Ruben Diaz holes. But um, in the meantime, if you could leave a rating and a review, we'll be incredibly grateful for that. 
hit subscribe and follow on whichever podcast platform you're listening along on until next time thank you very much for listening see you later Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. 